Crosspoint Community Church. We are here to help each other worship, live, and rescue like Jesus. For more info on who we are, go to cpmodesto.org. We are in Hebrews chapter 12, and this is last week of, of the last week of talking about our inheritance um, and thinking just about, again, why we are talking through these things. It has to do with the things that God has been speaking to me and, and challenging me in my life, and then to share with the rest of our, of our church family. And as I think about the season that we're in again, I think there's a a question that we have to be wrestling with every day. And and that question is this, do you believe that God leans into your transformation through every situation? Do you believe that God is not only just present or knows about, but God actually leans into with an intent to cause you to transform, to become more like Jesus through every single situation that comes into your life, whether it's good, bad, or or, or you're not even sure. Because if you do believe that, then everything you encounter has the potential to either make you more like you or more like Jesus. That everything that comes into your life, the things that are hitting you right now, The result of that, your response will either cause you to be more deeply ingrained into who you are and will make more of you or it will cause you to become more like Jesus. Now, if you don't believe that God leans into your transformation through every situation, then, well, it's just kind of up for grabs. It it almost doesn't matter. We have to make a decision what we believe about God and his involvement in our lives and this world. And we can make that decision from a point of our own understanding and our own wisdom, or we can make that decision based on what God reveals in his word. And so as I just think about, again, where we are, the the, the context, the intersection of where we are today, that we're in this place where we have we're dealing with the fallout of this global viral pandemic. And, and I get that, that there are so many different thoughts and opinions and ideas and perspectives about what this is, all the way from it's the flu or less, or that it's a political power move by certain people or, 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 or ideologies or still others, that it's a serious threat to human health and flourishing. And really, those ideas are represented across the board in this church. There's also, we're recognizing in this time, some deep human divisions. We've seen racial division, we've seen ideological divisions. And I think we even have seen divisions in the church about how do you honor, obey God, or how do you worship God in the best way. And it's, it's kind of interesting, as I shared last week, that, it, that it's just so, it, it seems odd to me 
that when there is something that is on a global scale like this, that the church seems to be even less unified than it was before. When I say unity, I, I'm not talking about that we all have to set, have the same opinion or a uniform belief. It's that are we united? Are we focused on the right things? Are we united in Christ? Or have we drawn lines and call each other names or cowards because of things that we see that we don't agree with? It seems to me that when we're faced with something that the entire globe is faced with, that the church of all things should be walking forth in unity more than any other organization, but, but it seems that the church is just as divided as any other segment of society. To kind of get a window into maybe, maybe church leadership today, uh, I've, been, I've been looking at some Barna research and some Barna polls and studies They've been really active lately during this pandemic and during all of the things that are going on. And, and it's interesting because church leaders are really in the same place as anyone else is because no one has walked through this before or, or dealt with this before. And it's interesting, Barna did a couple, did a couple different surveys and, and they asked, uh, they pulled pastors and the question was, should we follow the regulations that are being set out by the government? And, and at the time, nine of 10 pastors said yes. 36% of those nine of 10 said yes strongly. And so they kind of tapered off with maybe less, less strength behind their conviction. And then another question that was asked was, should you do what, is, what you think is best for your church regardless of the, of the regulations? And 54% said yes, 14% of those were strong yeses, which leaves 46% said no. And I know from different emails and conversations and, and postings that again, our church is no different than those differing viewpoints and opinions. Barna's kind of evolving findings as they continue to kind of ask similar questions at different points in time in this process. In week one of the coronavirus kind of outbreak in our country, they asked pastors if they believed that, that this coronavirus crisis would increase the faith of people. And 50% of pastors said yes. So half of pastors polled said, yes, we believe that this pandemic will result in a stronger and deeper faith in people. Asked 15 weeks later, those same pastors, 27% still believed that it would result in a stronger and deeper faith in people. And then asked the opposite question was do you think that the coronavirus crisis will decrease the faith of people? Week one, 1% of pastors polled said, yes, we think it will end up in decreasing the faith of people. Then in week 15, 11%, that grew to 11% that thought that it would actually decrease the faith that people had in their churches. And so it's interesting to see how people's thoughts are, are progressing and kind of evolving as, as we continue to work through this whole thing. As human nature presents itself over and over again, 
And I would almost say that it seems like a lot of pastors polled are almost bipolar because, because when asked to check how they're feeling, it, 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 these are the responses that, that, they, that, that were given, that pastors are exhausted, frustrated, anxious, power, feel powerless, yet at the same time grateful, determined, and optimistic. So there's all of these kind of competing feelings and, and, and things that create tension in, in, in everyone's mind. And I, and I don't think that necessarily anyone's at a place other than that. And, and, and here's the thing, that we are in a season where so many of us feel like things are out of control. But here's the problem with that feeling. Things are most definitely not out of control. If we believe what we say we believe, then we are in a season that God intends to refine us. That this moment is more about you becoming like Jesus and less about everything else. And that doesn't mean everything else isn't significant or is unimportant. It just prioritizes things. Because while there's all these things around us that are important, they all have different eternal consequence and value where our becoming like Jesus and reflecting him is of the utmost importance and is priority above all those other things. And so right now, things aren't out of control and God intends to refine us through this time. You see, the question that God has, has been working me through is, is this. How do we build a faith that can endure anything that it is confronted with? How can we have a faith that perseveres no matter what's going on around us? Our present inheritance that we experience in Christ Jesus is a faith that endures. Endurance or perseverance comes from where our hearts and our eyes and our minds are affixed, where they're focused on. And we have to affix our eyes and our hearts and our minds on Jesus if we are to have a faith that endures. And it is so easy because I believe we as a people are so weary at this point. It is very easy for us to take our attention off Jesus. And look at the wrong things. And decide to argue about the wrong things. And, and so really this morning, I want to wrap this up in, in Hebrews chapter 12. Basically about how do we arrive at a faith that endures. So if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 12. Starting in verse 1. The author says, therefore, thinking back to chapter 11, talking about all of these people in the faith who, who their commonality is that they didn't actually get to experience during their lifetime the fulfillment of the promise, yet we have that in common with them, yet, yet their faith was commended. Because they were faithful and they, they stood strong and they finished the race. And so he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. 
looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So here's the first part of building a faith that endures, a faith that perseveres. And that is where we have our eyes focused. It has to do with our eyes. And so part of it is that we need to be looking back. He says, therefore, now that we're surrounded by this great cloud of witnesses, these people that we can look back in the biblical text and see that every possible circumstance that we can encounter, that we can deal with, that, that will come into our life is experienced by those faithful people that we see in the pages of Scripture. There is nothing that can come into our lives that is outside of their experience. And, and he says, so, so, so throw off that, that thing that so easily entangles you and, and the reality is there, is there are so many things that entangle us in today's world. Things that are important, but not eternally important. And so he says, throw those things off. And he says, run the race with endurance and, and you see, when we go back to 11, the last two verses in chapter 11, we see that, that, that they endured because they knew that God had something better than what they could see and perceive with their, with their eyes just looking at the things around them. That they finished and they are waiting for us with longing and excitement because they haven't started to experience the banquet and the, and the, and, and the meal yet. They're waiting for our arrival. And so looking back is one place we need to have our eyes, but then also looking up. He goes on in verse two and he says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus, who, who, is, who is titled as the founder and the perfecter. That Jesus is the founder of my faith. It doesn't originate with me, but it comes as a gift from Jesus as part of my inheritance, that Jesus is the founder of faith, he's the model for faith, and he's the giver and sustainer of faith. That really when it comes to my faith and the endurance of my faith, Jesus is the doer, the builder, and I, we are the receivers. That's how it works. That's how faith works is it comes from Jesus and it is built up in Jesus and I need to be receiving that. And so he says, look back, look up to Jesus, and then also look forward. He says, who for the joy, Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. That Jesus, as he was facing the cross, he looked forward, he looked through to the joy that God had set before him, which is exactly what every single person in Hebrews chapter 11 did, that they looked through, they looked forward through their circumstances to the joy that was set before him. How many of us are having a hard time seeing through the circumstances in front of us for the joy that God has prepared for us? That it is so easy 
to reject the joy that God has set before us by desiring relief and pleasure in the moment. You see, we have the motivation to endure because in Christ, God has set ultimate joy before us. And so our eyes need to be focused if we are to have an enduring faith. The second thing is our, our hearts need to be pursuing the right things. Look at verse, verse three. He says, consider him, Jesus, who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And, and so he goes back to the example of Jesus as he talks about where our hearts need to, what our hearts need to be pursuing, what our hearts need to be treasuring. So what is it exactly that Jesus endured from such sinners? Jesus was rejected by his own people. Jesus was betrayed by a friend. Jesus was abandoned by his closest friends. He was mistreated by the authorities. He was mocked by the crowds. And as he looked over Jerusalem to see the people that he loved and was about to give his life for, he was saddened. Because of how they chose to walk and how they chose to respond. All of that all of those things culminated in his willing release of his own life for the life of others who didn't deserve his life. For you and I, there is nothing that Jesus experienced that, that is outside of the realm that, that, that we experience. There's nothing that we, we run into that Jesus didn't already experience. And, and here's, what, here's what's said there. He says that, that Jesus endured this. And then he says, in your struggle against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. That Jesus paid the ultimate price of his life to purchase our pardon. And he says, you have not yet gotten there. You haven't reached the place that you've actually given your life. And so the reality is that if you're reading this text or if you're hearing these words, then that means you have not endured to the extent Jesus did. And that the encouragement there is that you are not alone, you are not forgotten. As bad as it might be, it is possible that you can endure. And so the secret of a heart that treasures the right things, that results in endurance, is, is, is started in verse five. He goes on and he says, and have you forgotten the exhortation? And I would almost say, have you forgotten the secret to endurance that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which you all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Beside this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. 
Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. You see, here's the truth about you and here's the truth about me. We are naturally not like Jesus. We are naturally very unlike Jesus. We are untrained, we are immature, we are overconfident in what we feel strongly about, and we are impatient. And so God lovingly, as the perfect Father, develops endurance in our faith through discipline, hardships, struggle, sufferings. And the enemy's strategy is to get you and I to believe the falsehood that, that difficulties in life are proof that God doesn't love me or that God has forgotten about me. Or that I need to somehow avoid those difficulties or escape those difficulties. When the reality is that those difficulties we experience exist within God's loving heart so that our faith endures and we finish the race. As he says that, that we would become holy and that we would achieve peace. And, and so the discipline that we experience like right now in this current season, the difficulty, the hardship, is actually to help our faith to be a faith that endures and to, and to weed out the impurities that are in our faith. The things that we're tethered to that are not of Jesus Christ, that are less than Jesus, they might not be bad, but they're not things worth being tethered to because they're temporal and they will fail. And, and so he continues to what I would say in, in the enlightenment of understanding the purpose of difficulty and discipline in this lifetime, the reason God allows and uses it in our lives. He says, what should then an enlightened heart respond to that? How do you respond to discipline when you know its purpose? Because the Bible is very clear about the purpose of discipline and difficulty and suffering. He says in verse 12, therefore, now that you understand, lift up your drooping hands and strengthen your weak knees and make straight paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be put out of joint, but rather be healed. You see, there is a posture that we can take when we are encouraged by the knowledge that Jesus loves us and part of God's love bestowed on his children is his righteous discipline that we can have endurance in that race, in our lifetime. And he, and he gives the, the posture of a runner, basically, that in running, if you're gonna run any distance, if you're, gonna, if you're gonna endure in a long race, then you have to have good posture. You have to have your head up and your, and your ears in line with your shoulders. You can't be looking down when you're running. You need to have your shoulders open, almost pulling them back, arms at 90 degrees, 
hands relaxed, a tight core, and not all scrunched down. That's what he says is there's a posture of faith that endures. That, that you should lift your, your drooping hands, recognizing that we get weary in life. But he says, when you're weary and it's difficult, lift your drooping hands, strengthen your knees, stand up tall. And follow those straight paths that God has, has set before you. And he says, don't let yourself become lame by giving in or giving up or going and doing something that is outside of the character of God to escape or ignore the discipline that he's placed in your life. One of the questions that we have to wrestle with today is, is what is your posture today? We are at a place where I think so many people are so weary that they are giving in to their base instincts. And there is a focus on ourselves rather than the focus Jesus calls us to have on others. What is your posture today as you run this race? He goes on and he says, strive for peace with everyone, everyone, and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. He says there's two things that he calls us to strive for and they're not optional. It's not an choose A or B in this, peace or holiness. He says, strive for peace with everyone and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. And it is so easy for us because you see, some of us really want peace and we don't want to deal with confrontation. And so we just take peace and we don't strive for holiness. And others strive for holiness because we're all about confrontation and we're about what is right in our eyes. And so we pursue holiness and we say, it, peace doesn't matter. That's not the option that scripture gives us. We are to strive for peace and holiness at the same time at great cost to ourselves because ultimately what will happen, it will result in our Christ-likeness. And, and so then he says, watch out basically for what I would call grave robber or, or grace robbers. He says in verse 15, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Don't let anyone get robbed of grace. See to it that, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Don't let bitterness set in and root in your life. Because it is so easy right now because of what's going on around us and, and the, the things that are vying for our attention. It's very easy to become bitter. And mostly bitterness comes from not getting what we want or think we deserve. Don't let that steal and rob the grace of God in your life. He says, and, and by it, many become defiled. That no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau who sold his birthright for a single meal. In other words, not only that, but don't let your pursuit to be satisfied and find pleasure in the moment, replace your desire for what God has for us eternally. He says, don't let sexual immorality or the pursuit of immediate gratification 
or immediate release from, from what's going on around us. Don't make those kinds of deals like Esau made, living for the world and the flesh, where he said, you know what, fine, I just want to be happy right now, and I don't care about the inheritance of God. Make sure that your heart is chasing after the right things. Make sure that your heart is set on the right things. And that begins with where your eyes are focused because your heart follows where you're looking. And, and, so, and so he says, he says, our eyes and our hearts, but also our minds. And that has to do with how we think, how we process what we are so sure of. And today, there are so many people who are so sure of so many things that they probably ought not to be sure about. You see, we know that our minds are set on Jesus because it comes out in the way I act when I trust that God is acting for me. Because we know that God acts on behalf of his children. And you see, that means we don't have to act in defense of ourselves. And so when we act, it's, it comes down to, to acting in a way that we recognize that God is acting for us. That way we don't have to take matters into our own hand and look out for number one because God is already looking out for us. In verse 18, he begins to talk about this, this idea in, in, in the Old Testament where, where, where the Israelites were forbidden to even go near the holy mountain of God and, and how, how there were those who just wanted instant gratification. They wanted things to be over. They wanted the, the fast route. And he continues to compare that to, to the behavior of Esau. And so he goes on and he says, he says in, in, in verse 18, he says, For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and the sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further message be spoken to them. In other words, people who said, we don't want to hear any more about this. We just want what makes us feel better. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in feastal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. Don't miss the voice of God in the midst of your circumstances. Where Esau said, nope, no deal, I can't wait. I'm not going to be patient. I'm not going to have endurance and per, per, persevere through this. Give me the single meal. You can have the inheritance of God. Don't refuse God's voice of promise and grace just because it's difficult in the moment. And then he goes on and he says, different than Esau, unlike Esau, in verse 25 he says, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. 
At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates, listen to this, the removal of the things that are shaken, that is things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken might remain. That God in his discipline is shaking so that the things that are temporal, the things that make up our experience that are temporal and made, that those things that are not eternal will be shaken off and that which is eternal will stand. The reality is this, that our country, when shaken, will not stand because our country is not eternal. The United States is not eternal and when God shakes it, it will cease. But God's kingdom never will. And so here Esau despised the offer of grace for the choice of short-term pleasure. Be grateful for God's grace. Be thankful for what God has done. Look at what he says in verse 28. He says, therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. The choice before us is that we can choose to place our focus and think on and place our mind and our hearts and our eyes on that which can be shaken or that which can never be shaken. And it ends with saying God is a consuming fire which speaks of his, his intensity and his commitment to transform you and I to be like Jesus. That God's nature as a consuming fire for those who are his children means that he will consume their adversaries and he will refine them as gold. For those who don't, have not surrendered to Jesus, God's consuming fire is destruction, not deliverance. And even for those of us who are his children, as we become closer to God, his consuming fire will begin to purify our fragile faith that has all of these impurities. And it will be painful, but it will result in the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have experienced his fire. You see, right now, in the church of Jesus Christ, I believe that there is an attempt probably by people who mean well to bring us out of and eliminate the struggle and the difficulty that God has us in. And I, for one, will not steal your opportunity for God to develop endurance in your faith because we are at this juncture in history right now as God's people because we need a strong faith. We need a faith that endures because the world has seeped into our faith. And I will not step in 
and steal away the opportunity that God has given you and given me for, for endurance to be developed in our faith. And so what God has been dealing with me lately, what God has been speaking in my life, I'm simply sharing with you. We began this series and I, and I said what God has revealed to me is that we have a fragile faith, faith and that our faith is in need of endurance. I said that, that God has revealed to me that, that my faith and I think we need to consider that our faith is tethered at too many points. Our faith needs to be tethered to Jesus alone, not everything else. Because those other places, they pull us apart from Jesus. That Jesus with me and for me must be enough. And today, the revelation I share with you, revelation not being a prophetic thing, but, but again, being something that God has made clear to me in my life, that the difficulties I so want to disappear are there for my good, specifically to build endurance into my faith. And so how do I process and benefit from the difficulties in my life? How do I process those and how do I benefit from those, those things that are happening right now? If we are not characterized by humility and love, then we have not chosen God's design for our lives. The action that I believe God is calling us toward in summary of this whole series and what God has been dealing with me on is this, first of all, we've got to do whatever it takes not to give up. Whatever it takes not to give up. Hebrews 10, 35 and 36 says this, therefore do not throw away your confidence which has a great reward for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. That God gives endurance through our participation in the sufferings of Christ. We all are about the glory of Christ, participating in his glory, but God is calling us to participate in the sufferings of Christ. Because that's how he grows us. That's how he refines us. That's how our faith endures. The second thing is this, pre-experience what lies ahead. Remember last week we talked about that idea of, of, of we, they may not have tasted the actual meal, but they, they, they smelled the aroma so much that they could taste it accurately. Pre-exists what lies ahead, what God has for us. In, in, in Hebrews 11, 39 and 40, he says, And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect, that we will experience the fulfillment of God's promise together as his family. So we've got to untether from the things that aren't Jesus. And then finally this, embrace what cannot be shaken. We have in our hearts embraced so many things and hold desperately to things that can be shaken. 
We have got to grab onto and embrace things that cannot be shaken. The last verses of chapter 12. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving already. We have it. We've received it. We are part of that kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. Remember what lasts. Remember what lasts and invest there. It is so easy for us to invest in what doesn't last. I want you to know that that God is for us and God will continue to work in and through us and that we can have confidence and hope that we will not only get through, but if we are willing to humbly walk with God, and love others, that we will exit whatever this is with a faith that is deep and enduring. You and I, as part of the family of God, can endure and finish this race. Don't concede. Don't give up. Don't do things that will disqualify you from the race that God has you in. Let me pray for us. Father, we come before you and I thank you so much for how much you love us and how deeply committed you are to to making us like Jesus. Father, I pray for so many who are out there who are weary and burdened and struggling. God, I pray that, that their hands would be lifted up that their knees would be strengthened so that they could continue to run after you. That God, as as a people of God, that we could encourage each other. That we could lift one another up and remind each other of where we need to have our eyes, that that where we need to focus our hearts and, and how we have to think with our minds in order so that we would reflect Jesus accurately to those around us. So Father, I thank you for your presence and your power in our lives. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening. We hope you feel inspired and moved by what God is doing here at Crosspoint. Point.